Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks so much for joining in. Glad to have you here. So, in the past, I've done a few episodes related to the opioid epidemic, and you can certainly scroll back through the podcast and find those episodes. I'm really interested in the research around the causes and cures for the epidemic, the players involved, the corruption, the corruption, and how our nation is holding those responsible accountable. I mean, if you guys even glance at the news, right, you'll know about all the lawsuits and settlement money coming into the states. Um, I just started reading the American cartel inside the battle to bring down the opioid industry by Scott Higman and Sari Horowitz. And I have to admit, cartel, cartel is the right word for it. But it wasn't, you know, like the gangster type of drug cartel that you might think of uh, when you hear the word cartel, you know, not the people were like, oh, if you're disloyal to the cartel, they're going to chop your head off. No. <laughs> um, in many ways, those guys, those types are more honest because you know who they are, what you're dealing with, what's going to happen if you're not loyal. <laughs> but this cartel was full of highly educated men and women, professionals, trusted professionals, people in white coats and business suits, government drug companies, pharmacies, consultancy firms. I mean, quite the cartel. Anyhow, it's a good book so far. Uh, if you're interested, you can find it on Amazon. I suggest reading it if you're interested in the opioid epidemic. But seriously, um, you know, I write a lot about this topic, but when we talk about the war on misinformation, um, everybody's really panicked about it and how dangerous misinformation is. Um, on one hand, I'm kind of like, Okay, guys, we gave everyone the internet. What did you think would happen? And then on the other hand, I think of the opioid epidemic, which is one of the biggest health disinformation campaigns of my lifetime, probably the biggest. And it wasn't spearheaded by podcast host or, you know, essential oils enthusiast or the, the do-your-own-research crowd. Um, nah, it was spearheaded by trusted companies, professions and regulators. Um, and I think that's one reason people say there is more of a trust crisis versus a misinformation crisis, because, you know, the, the opioid epidemic is kind of like the elephant in the room. It's like, hey, guys, you know, it wasn't the bloggers or the podcast host who caused that. <laughs> uh, it was you. <clears throat> Anyways, I digress a little bit. Today's episode, On to the Helpers the people who are helping to fix this mess. Now, while a lot of public health policies or, you know, ones you might be more familiar with are set by the government uh, or, you know, state, local, national governments, the initiatives that interest me the most are the ones that, you know, happen at the community level or the individual level, because I think they can have a really powerful impact. And I'm always curious as to what inspires the community or person to begin such initiatives. Today, I will be chatting with Jeremiah Lindemann about how he is using his professional skills, including uh, geospatial mapping and data visualization skills, to map the opioid epidemic in various ways. He is the creator of the Celebrate Lost Loved Ones map, 
which is a place where people can go and remember their loved ones lost to this epidemic. And it's really, you know, it's really something when you see it. It's uh, it's powerful. It's sad. It's, it's really powerful. And we're going to talk more about that today. And if any of you want to contribute to the map, we'll tell you how you can do that. But he also works with counties and government officials to create other types of maps related to the opioid epidemic. And he will talk about that in the podcast and how they can be used to fight this epidemic. Now, Jeremiah did not start out as a public health professional, nor did he intend to be one. And he will talk about that today and really tell his story of personal loss and how that inspired him to use his skills and talents to take on this epidemic. All right, so let's connect to him and hear what he has to say. One second, guys. Okay, guys, thanks for joining in. And we are connecting with Jeremiah Lindemann. And we are going to talk about a map that he created called Celebrating Lost Loved Ones and other maps that are related to uh, the opioid epidemic um, or something called the Opioid Mapping Initiative. But first, Jerry, thanks so much for being here, for joining us. Um, and I thought maybe like if we could start out by you just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, finding interest in this and having me today. Um, yeah, sure. Myself, I I, uh, I live in Colorado. Um, I think what probably the, the story that brought me here is I, I unfortunately lost my little brother, uh, JT, uh, to an overdose. And it's it's been a while. It's been about 14 years ago since he since he passed. Um, I uh, I have a day jo- daytime job in GIS, which is Geographic Information Systems and, and Mapping. Um, you know, when my brother first passed away, I was really quiet about it. You know, you don't talk a lot about, um, you know, losing someone close to you to drugs, especially back then. It was, you know, you know I, I think it's real, there, there's a lot of hidden uh, um, assumptions that go along with the, the sure. epidemic uh, and addiction. But back then it was really quiet. And um, I was quiet for a while, but then I, I wanted to be an advocate after see, being uh, seeing it more in the news. And the way I did that is basically using what my skills are in mapping and, and tech to kind of confront some of that. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I I read some of your story about your brother. I mean, I'm I'm sorry for your loss, and I know it. The really that sense of loss, it's just uh, it's always with you. Um, this celebrating, so the celebrating lost loved ones. Um, like when did you first say hey i'm ready to make this so i think you know just kind of backing up again you know i uh, after being quiet for several years i I think it was you know he'd probably been already passed for five years or so and there was a bunch of things on the news that had happened i think it was like philip seymour hoffman passed away we had a senator who's you know son was in you know got arrested and made a a lot of the news and and there's just a couple other things that kept on coming along and you know all, this, all the time i'm kind of seeing some underground things on the internet about like purdue pharma and oxycontin which he was hooked on so what i um did is that i started getting real data i i uh i reached out to the state department of health and i asked for data and i got a whole bunch of historical data and i made some animated maps to kind of show um how things were getting worse. So I, I basically I made a little play button and over time you'd see how each county was having more deaths, you know, from the early 2000s especially. I was just taking that and I was started, you know, throwing it out there to whoever would listen. And 
there was kind of an early advisory board from you know, the governor and I, I started meeting people. And that was uh, kind of early on. And about a year, about a year on after I, I started meeting some folks, other families that had met people. And I remember a mom very specifically said, you know, we need some way to you know, break stigma and tell these stories and celebrate these lives. And that's where the, the celebrating, you know, name tagline really came from. Uh, so it was probably, you know, after a year of me kind of playing around with just some other data and then just meeting some families and it just kind of grew from that. Right. And can you tell us a little bit about like the specifics of, of the map? Like if you go to this, you know, web, web page, what will you see? Yeah. So the map is you know, pretty sobering. It's, it's, it's rather heartbreaking, but it's, it's a crowdsourced map of people that have been lost to overdose. So there's, I think, over 5,000 people on the map now. Um, you can zoom around and you kind of see the side panel of pictures. So it's, it's interactive. If you zoom into your state, you'll see pictures of people that have lost. And then you click on each picture and you get a little bio and um, or, or story about that person. So families have added their loved ones to this map. And, you know, some people, you know, some of the stories are just kind of, you know, short, you know, we, we love and miss them. Some of them are paragraphs long that, you know, they really want to, you know, make sure their memories aren't forgotten. So that's really the idea of is uh, celebrating lost loved ones is just showcasing people that we've lost. And I was, um, when we spoke earlier, I was um, telling, telling him that I, I was looking, I was zooming in on where I grew up because there's a huge opioid um, problem, well, everywhere, but um, I'm in New York City and more so in um, small town Pennsylvania where I grew up and I was able to see, read stories from my hometown. Um, and one thing I, you know, you talk a lot about stigma and you really said, you know, you wanted to highlight that this can happen to anybody, all walks of life. And I think the map really does that. Um, and even sometimes like your own, you know, maybe your own stereotypes, like stereotypes can be so deeply embedded in you, you know, and then sometimes you look at a picture of someone, you're like, oh, wow, that person, wow, that person too. Like really any, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really kind of the idea too. You know, there's, I think there's just always this battle of, of stigma uh, with addiction yeah. and, it, and that can kind of mean a, a few things, but the biggest one is, yeah, like who, who it impacts and, yeah, you know, I think people in their mind have, you know, these, you know, really beaten down individuals that, you know, just are yes. you know, grudges to society and that, like, that's uh, not, that's not the case. And, and, you know, in some cases, yeah, people, addiction takes them down the hole, but um, really addiction is everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, some of the story, I mean, and it is sobering, um, but it, it humanizes the, the, the epidemic, which I think is, is really impactful in a lot of ways, um, not just celebrating life, but just really, you know, highlighting this issue for so many people. Um, but, the, but the one thing that struck me too is when you read the stories, sometimes people write like what happened. And a lot of times it'll be like so-and-so was prescribed drugs and then, you know, had the prescription drugs and they struggled for three years and you're just, or somebody had an accidental fentanyl overdose. It was just, um, everybody's story was, was different, but there's also similarities in there. Um, and as you know, like the, the, you know, the prescription, the prescribing, um, that was a big part of it. Um, and not being completely upfront with people about how addicting they can be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my, my brother, I mean, he went to treatment and, you know, when he was clean, he was quite open about Oxycontin and how he could get it. And, um, 
yeah, there's a lot of very similar stories in the beginning. And, you know, obviously things have changed a lot, especially the last few years with fentanyl. But, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the this, you know, overdoses are overdoses. But yet it is it is humanizing to be able to kind of associate associate everything that you might hear in the news. And, you know, oftentimes when, when you watch the news or you see these news clips, yeah, it's, it's quick bites with statistics, right? And yeah. it's, it's, you do lose that human touch. And I think as a society, we just move on pretty quick, you know, we, oh, oh, yeah, it's bad. There's numbers going up, but we don't sometimes take that moment to realize that those statistics, a death is, is huge. It's, it's an individual and it's a whole family behind it. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. How did you um, tell people about this map or did people just start finding it on their own? Yeah. So early on, it was um, just Colorado. I think it kind of started, there's maybe six or seven families in Colorado. I kind of shared it a little bit. I, then I maybe found a Facebook group or two and it grew there. And then, um, you know, I think it was like 2017, 2018, a couple of news reports were done on it and um, that kind of really kind of helped grow it uh, for sure. Uh, so, you know, a city, uh, news agency in Milwaukee would do it. And the next morning there'd be a bunch more contributions in that area. So it kind of grew from that. And then, you know, just a lot with social media um, and just kind of took off that way, I guess. And that's kind of how, how the map has grown. And I also think um, I, I'm going to ask you about like some of the feedback that you've gotten um on the map, you know, maybe from people who've, who've posted, but I feel like it must help people uh, with the grieving process too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it is a, an incredibly sad map and you kind of have to take a pause after looking at it, but yeah, have got a lot of great feedback and especially from the families, um, you know, a few things. I mean, I think there's a lot of families that have a need to do advocacy themselves. They're going to state fairs and other places and, and you know, they're doing real work they're they're trying to hand out naloxone and and you know try to prevent this and you know i hear stories about how they will set up a computer monitor and have the map while they're talking to people uh so um you know moms that have lost someone you know they're 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 using it um and then, but then also just feedback of <clears throat> you know through that grief it, you know this this unfortunate club that these families are in but they I think there's kind of a sense of solace of being able to know you're not alone and look at other stories and, and see that. So it has yeah. been a lot of nice feedback of, you know, just gratitude, you know, to be able to share stories that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just that sense of togetherness, like, you know, you're not alone. Um, yeah. these, there's so many others out there. Um, now I, I was curious, how did, so this is hosted by the national safety council. Um, how did you team up with them or how did they become involved? Yeah, so that was a few years ago. Um, they were doing their own campaign. And so, you know, I guess Backup National Safety Council does a lot of safety work. You know, I think they historically got started with like seatbelt advocacy and, uh, you know, trying to reduce deaths. And they do a lot of employer education. Um, their, their organizations they work with and doing safety was hearing about this issue a lot themselves. So th they were doing a lot of uh, workplace education and you know um, they were starting to do some campaigns and they want to do similar stories and they kept on reaching out to me about can we you know maybe talk to some of the families and I don't just give like the you know we I've been collecting some of the emails and I'm not just giving that information out to anyone but I you know would ask some of the families and they'd definitely be willing to talk or, or share the information and it kind of got to be where 
I, uh, I didn't want to, it got to be a bit of a time um, suck to take that information request. But I also felt like it was just me kind of doing things on my own. And it was nice to have more of a national home for it too, uh, to, to kind of put it out there. So that, that's kind of how that relationship got out there to say, well, you know, if, if you want, just you can take that on and put it on your website. And um, I, I still help a lot with it too. You know, there's each request that comes in, there's gets approved just so, you know, we're making sure that, you know, the map has, you know, no junk information on or anything, yeah, which sure. doesn't really happen, but so I still help with it quite a bit, but yeah, that's kind of how that history happened. Um, so I wanted to, you know, cause uh, we've heard so, so much recently about, you know, fentanyl being um, a big problem, like basically being put in a bunch of different drugs. Um, and have you, like, how has this map in your, like, has it changed at all? Have you noticed trends yourself that maybe you you were curious about. Um, yeah, you know, as far as like how the map gets added to, I, I think it's mostly through through the news or, or also social circles. So um, I think there'll be groups, you know, Facebooks or something. There'll be advocacy groups that will share it, and that's kind of where you see the additions come along. And um, yeah, there might be a, a new group specific for fentanyl awareness, and that's where some of the stories will come in. So uh, I'll be honest, I think I I. Uh, I stopped kind of promoting the map a whole lot, maybe two years ago, like right around, you know, COVID time, just because I think I, I kind of need a little bit of a break and, um, but it was still always out there. Um, but especially the last couple of months, it's really got an uptick and there's been a lot more additions to it. And yeah, you see a lot of the stories you know, some of the stories are, you know, people are just finding it the last or, or 10 years ago that was, you know, it was heroin or Oxycontin, but I'd say the majority these days are, are more the fentanyl uh, um, uh, causes of death that, that are coming through. Interesting. I guess so it's like the kind of trending uh, with what we're reading about. You know, yeah, sure. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, now, you don't you, you create other types of um, opioid related maps with, with uh, your expertise and your skills and you work with, you know, county and local governments. I was wondering, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think when I, I got started with all of this, it was really just kind of a, a side passion project, right? And, you know, things I do a little bit on night or, or, or on the weekends, and it was really around this, uh, but started dabbling, and, and I, I did have a fellowship a while ago where I, I tried to get, a, um, seeing what other cities and counties were doing at the more local level. You know, I, I think there's a lot of discussion about importance of community around this and what are communities taking real data and mapping it so for a while I was hosting some monthly calls where cities and counties and I would just kind of recruit them to have webcast and share what they were doing uh, so you know some of it was really simple things at the time well you know where, where are the drop boxes in my community you know to just get you know unused medications but a lot of it too has been things like cities and counties mapping their own overdose data. So uh, overdoses, that's coming from EMS data or um, from you know, typically your fire departments are gonna be the, their first responders you know, responding to an incident. They, you know, for them, a lot of those communities have seen huge uptakes in those type of calls and being able to respond appropriately. Uh, so mapping that information out has been of interest. I think it was interest to them to help showcase 
the burden on those departments. But from a community level, like that type of information is so important because especially if it's shared right to the public, you can generalize it without sharing, you know, who overdosed to kind of show hotspots. And, you know, there's so much, there's so much great advocacy work like we talked about naloxone or, you know, uh, public education campaigns. Where do you focus in your community? Like what, what should be done? So yeah, there's mapping overdoses and then there's all sorts of other trends of mapping that, you know, there's, I, discovered way more data sets than I thought of that I, I that I could imagine that you know people want to map yeah. around this topic yeah um that's what I was noticing all different uh each map was very specific to different elements of this epidemic um so you would get the data as, could you walk us through an example like like how did you actually build that you would get the data and then so I I I uh... And some, I think early on, I would get the data, like, you know, I would ask the data, ask for data from the state health department uh, and, and do it. But, you know, more recently, I've just been trying to help the cities or counties guide, you know, be, you know, a technical resource to help folks. So really, you know, they're the authority of it and trying to just let them map their own data that they have and, and you know, help provide the tools so, so they could visualize it, you know, whether it's overdose data or, treatment so they can look at gaps in treatments. So really just gonna being a resource to help folks, you know, do the mapping, but also do, you know, other other maybe potential analysis with it. Right. And there's this big movement now, um, I hear it talked about a lot um, you know, on the federal level about actionable data, uh, especially since um COVID-19. Um, everyone's like, we need faster data, we need data that we can, you know, quickly see and do something with. Um, and this sounds like these maps sounds like there you can get a ton of data and do stuff with it, right? Like actually, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I mean that's the whole idea. You know, as I mentioned, you know, the overdoses yeah. is one. You know, I, I think what one of the one of the things I would like to see change is uh, a faster role in the reporting of this stuff. You know, if it's if it's a death, the the county coroner will report it. It goes to the state and then it goes to the CDC, and we don't really get clear death numbers until like a year later, right? So. I think that 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 process could be better, but that's why relying on things like the EMS, you know, the the first responders calls where they're responding to overdoses, that's that is much more actionable, and you can see that. You know, the, the other data sets so that are, would be quicker that data. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, the other data sets are you know doing things like well, we know where treatment is, but where are the gaps in treatment? You know, how far do people have to drive to kind of fill in the holes? and compare that to that same overdose data. Um, you know, another big one that has been making the news a lot for COVID is wastewater uh, sampling. You know, when you know, wastewater yes. testing has been around for years, you know, they started doing things like just testing caffeine like in the eighties, but oh, yeah. there, were, there were a lot of people that started testing for substances, um, you know, several years ago. And there are cities that are doing that too. And in many cases, that's the earliest indicator for, you know, whether it's COVID or, you know, overdoses, you know, you're, you're not waiting for an overdose to happen. You're, you can start to see trends in the community like right now. And, and that can be actionable too, because you can start to, you know, prefer your, you know, alarm your first responders, but also alarm your community about what's, what might be happening and make sure that, you know, safe actions are being placed. Um, and I totally agree with you. Like, and the, I mean, I know with the, the wastewater um, epidemiology, that's playing a huge role now um, with the polio cases uh, in New York. Or, well, I think there was one, but I know they're like, oh, there's going to be more because of 
the wastewater analysis. Yeah, I saw that. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, we need to get data a lot faster. Um, so like, but when you get the EMS data, is that you get it right away or how do you get that? I'm just curious. You can. So, I mean, um, again, I, I usually am not asking the data for myself. It's, it's usually going to be a, like a city that's working with their own fire department to get that data. Um, in many cases, they can have it set up right away. So there's technical processes to say, if there's a new dot reported from their, what they call an RMS or records management system, put it in right away. A lot of people will just kind of do nightly reports to see, okay, what, what's happening. Um, so that, that's all, it's all useful. And then. And how many, um, you mentioned you're working with um, city uh, or county governments. Um, how many, how many governments or government bodies are you working with right now? Mm, yeah. You know, so a couple of years ago, we, we were having these monthly calls that lasted for about a year and a half. And you know, there, there was over a couple dozen folks. Um, those have kind of died off and, you know, kind of thought about maybe do we start something up similar after COVID? You know, I think there's so a lot of this is driven by health departments that were so busy with COVID, but they're also, I think, finding more time to start addressing this since it's, you know, you know not getting any better. Um, so that might come up again, but as far as how many people, yeah, I don't know. I'm not currently, you know, I, I always talk to a few, it seems like I'm talking to a couple of people a week, but um, yeah, over time, you know, there's, there's lots of people doing things. So I, I kind of lost track as to how many people yeah, over time. I've but got, like outside of Colorado, like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and I guess mostly out of, out of Colorado anymore, it seems so. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting too, to think about, um, you know, uh, different public health departments, uh, um, their, their funding situation varies. So, you know, they, you often have to come up with creative solutions um, just because there isn't the funding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, so one, one of the things that, you know, as I mentioned, is really largely a side job, but um, it has blended into my day job. So we, we try to make some tools that you know, local governments can use. And uh, this kind of, kind of team that I'm on now to, you know, kind of look at what are repeatable workflows. And I usually do like other emergency management or uh, public safety and some health, but we've got to tackle this too thinking about mostly with uh, the settlement fundings that's coming in and how can you know public health departments or, or any city or county do you know public campaigns and just get education out um, and yeah hopefully the the settlements from the the pharmaceutical companies will help with folks with this and yeah um, yeah that's right um i was actually talking to someone um she she came on the podcast and she lost uh, two sons and she was talking about how like the states are getting all this money but they might not necessarily know where to put it um, in terms of like where are you going to get you know the the best results what, like where's your best investment in terms of um, addressing the epidemic um, it sounds like a lot of what you're doing could be very helpful too there to help help them figure that out the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah, we're, we're on, um, I'm on like an advisory board for the, the county that's going to be looking at the, the settlement funds where, where I live. And I think that our, our state attorney general office has done a really good job of kind of identifying prevention or harm reduction. And uh, so you kind of see these big buckets, but then, yeah, you have the, the geography problem too, because my, my county is very large and you know, where do we, and especially like my county is unique. That's it's urban, it's suburban, and it's rural. It covers a lot of area. So yeah. how do you kind of cover all that and yeah. help folks? So it's going to be some challenges I think everyone will take. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, you, you were affected by this personally, and, and you mentioned, um, you know, Purdue Pharma uh, earlier in the podcast. I was just curious that you need, when you see the settlement money coming in and man, like so many like big companies, right? Like having to pay um, significant funds here. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think every uh, emotion on the spectrum probably, you know, yeah. comes up of, you know, kind of makes you a little sick. It makes you very angry for sure. I mean, these companies are still running along. I mean, the, the amount that they had to pay out was outrageous, but you know, a lot of them are still going to do business. So just yeah. the, the profits that they made off death were, were kind of outrageous. And, and, you know, just there's so many problems that are still going on. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wide range of emotions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I'm always, I follow it like, you know, the, the different lawsuits and stuff and I'm like, wow, like <laughs> this was like, uh, just, it, just huge. There's just like all the different people, the players with, with tons of money that were involved. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's sad. It's, it's sad. Did you ever, I mean, you're, you are a public health, uh, guru now in some ways, like this is like, did you ever think you were going to do this and people were going to come to you in the work, in the realm of public health? No, I, I didn't, I didn't foresee this. I've always, you know, I think I've been mapping, you know, before my brother passed away and I've, I've kind of had a career in this, I've always, I found health fascinating just in general. Um, but yeah, I didn't think it would it, you know, kind of lead into this. I have tied more health stuff into my work. So I, I do, you know, with, with my daytime job, I, I do more health work. So like public health, community health assessments, we have a solution I manage for that. And I help manage some of our mapping for homelessness. Oh. So there's other health stuff that I've taken on just, I think, because of this and, and that's great and then i also are, are we have a new county health board and i i'm actually on the board now for my own county so yeah it's, it's definitely taken me places that um i didn't think i'd go for sure but it's, it's great to see i mean i more i learn about public health it's, it's fascinating and how it can help people and yeah yeah it's a it's a it's kind of like an umbrella term public health <laughs> sure yeah yeah um there's a lot of different uh, aspects and avenues um, and, you know, on the population level, you know, you, from your personal experience, from your work experience now, um, you're on a public health, you're, you know, your, count, your county's public health board. Uh, in your opinion, where do we need to focus more from a public health perspective, from, from your perspective, really? It's a really good question. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, no one has the answers because we're, we're not yeah. getting out of this. Obviously, There's no right answers here. I'm just, I'm curious, but, like from your experience, what would you say, but, oh, this. But, but for my, my two, I, I guess I, I give kind of two answers. One, one is treatment and recovery. I mean, I think there's so much space there. I think there's a lot of people that want that, that don't have the accesses that need, you know, and it's like, you know, that can't be forced, obviously, you know, you, you can't force recovery. And it's also, you know, much like a, a diet, you know, when you have to be in the right mindset, but if that option isn't there for you when you're ready, then that's, that's, you know, someone falling through the cracks, you know? So I think having more accessible treatment and recovery is something that we need to work on. And the other one is, I just don't know how, but prevention, and I don't know what prevention is, you know, we can't just have a, a you know, a bunch of don't use drug t-shirts floating around to fix things. We can't just have a bunch of drop boxes that are fixing things. It seems like we're doing so many reactionary things, but you know, it seems like 
in many ways, our society just so so many people are hurting. And what do we do to address this before you know it, it evolves further? I mean, addiction's been around for centuries. It's not going to change, but it does seem like we could do better at dealing with our own pain than you know having you know all these really addictive substances that you know people are getting hooked on. Yeah, I I agree, and I think. Um when you talk about prevention, it's kind of like, um, it, it's so many elements and they're like, they all come together to form the foundation. You know, it might be um, addressing something like, you know, years before, like you said, make, like when somebody's ready, making sure that they can go get the help. Um, you know, I can't imagine feeling ready. And then you're like, well, there's nothing here, you know? Mm, um, I think that happens a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, and we, and, and prevention, I think we have to take a holistic approach to prevention, but um, in our in our country in general with different public health topics, I mean, you see like, you know, issues with obesity, um, dear God, there's so many, like we're not good at prevention at all. We're, right. just, we're just not. So I, yeah, right. I don't have the answer to that one either. It's just, it takes, there's so many, I guess the, the answer might have to do with some, uh, maybe taking each building block at a time and just kind of trying to make it a little better yeah Uh, that's yeah um but you know and maybe maybe you know in your maps are i think are are, would play a role in prevention as well um here's the hot spots here's where you need to make sure treatment's available right yeah and i I think you know like i was saying earlier this idea that the community and excuse me getting community level involvement i think is very important for for all this huge yeah absolutely um and there's been a lot of creative initiatives too that people really are um like good-hearted people are really trying good and smart people too you know right you need need both things (laughs) yeah yeah jeremiah thank you so much for um joining today on causes or cures i i wish you a lot of luck with this and just so people know um if they want to see this map or see any other types of maps that you think might be helpful for them, where can they go? Um, so, well, the the uh, Lost Loved Ones map, if you go to memorial.nsc.org, so memorial.nsc.org, that's a quick way to get to, get to the map uh, that you can interact with. Um, the other maps, um, I probably should do a better job at cataloging them. It's a, you know, they're at any given, you know, city or county government that's doing things right now and which is not many uh, unfortunately but I'd, I'd be happy to you know talk with people more and give you know more specific examples i suppose yeah absolutely um and who knows maybe some pe- some will call you after this podcast <laughs> sure yeah yeah more more than happy to talk awesome well thank you so much um enjoy it's i think it's afternoon there in colorado or what time it's early afternoon yeah yeah, yeah early afternoon yeah okay enjoy your weekend and um i will follow up with you over email and thanks again so much cool well thank you so much for having me absolutely okay all right bye bye all right guys thank you so much for joining in today if you'd like to reach me you can do so through my website bloomingwellness.com i also write a lot there um so you can check out my writings some some quirkier than others Uh, You can learn about some of the public health-related work I do. I included a link to the Celebrate Lost Loved Ones map in the podcast description, and I will also include it on my blog. So if anyone would like to see it or add to it, you can. 
Thank you again to my guest for coming on today and for the work he's doing to fight the opioid epidemic. Uh, maybe that will inspire others out there. You know, you can really make a difference. You're never too small to make a difference, even if you're one person, two people, three people, whatever. You can start tomorrow if you have an idea. Um, help out, help out. And since I'm trying to end every episode with a quote <laughs> based on a suggestion from a listener, um, oh my goodness, I think last episode I closed with a quote from J.P. Donlevy's A Fairy Tale in New York, which was so random. But today I'm going to close with a quote from Mr. Rogers because this is about helping. Um, and this quote is posted all the time online, but why ruin a good thing, you know? Um, why reinvent a good quote? <laughs> So here it is, Mr. Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. It's true. It's true. All right, guys, bye for now and hope to see you here next time. Over and out.